we're going to kick off episode 319 of Monster Kid Radio with the band The Isotopes. The Isotopes are a band out of Rochester, New York, and they just released an album called Play Surf Music. This song is called Super Collider. They gave us permission to play the song on this podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I am your host, writer, producer, Derek M. Cook. Welcome to the show. Real quick about the Isotopes. They've got some shows coming up if you're in the Rochester, New York area. Next month in June, the third Thursday, they've got a rare free Thursday night show at the Star Alley at the Lux Lounge at 666 South Avenue. And then also in June, June 25th, they'll be playing at Jazz Fest at Max Rochester at 25 Gibbs Street. If you show up, let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. Check out their website, theisotopes.com, to see all their upcoming events. They've even got a Halloween show booked already, so go check them out. When you're done listening to this episode and my conversation with friend of the show, Michael Leggy, a.k.a. Dr. Drek. Oh, Dr. Drek. The song is Super Collider. What would Dr. Drek do with a Super Collider? The, the idea just... <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Michael Leggy, when he's not doing his thing as Dr. Drek or being involved with theater, or all the other things that he does. He's also writing books. And earlier this year, he released the book Monster Kidding, Confessions of a Weirdo. It came out in January, and I was fortunate enough to be asked to contribute to the book, alongside some other people that have been on the show in the past, like Dwight Kemper or Stephen D. Sullivan. The bulk of the book, though, is all about Michael Leggy's experiences growing up as a monster kid looking back on what made him who he is today and it's a fun light-hearted entertaining read i think you guys and gals will dig it but don't take my word for it why don't you listen to this conversation i'm about to have with michael Leggy. after that i'm going to talk briefly about the universal unite the shared monster universe because a new clip has been released and previous guest on monster kid radio jeff owens had some comments about that over on downright creepy and well i want to throw my two cents in as well so that'll happen after we talk to michael edgy and that's going to be happening right after this Legend of the Werewolf. How is a child protected by wolves and brought up in the forests? What makes him become that most ungodly of creatures, a werewolf? Myth? Not myth to the people of Europe who experienced this evil. Not myth to the citizens of Paris who are to suffer the same terror. A werewolf. the evils of hell walk the earth when the moon is full. I've been thinking about those three murders the other night. Paul, you are not to interfere. These are the victims of murder. I'm not easily shocked, monsieur. Why, Christine? I stopped as long as I could and then I ran away, here to Paris. Nothing is sacred from this savage power and hatred whose only thought is to destroy and kill. Men, women, children, no one is safe when the werewolf prowls. 
from a European forest to a Paris suburb. From a boarding house to the depths of a great city, the evil of a werewolf reigns in this Tyburn tale of terror. With Peter Cushing, Ron Moody, Hugh Griffith, Roy Castle, Lynn Dolby, Stephen Griff, Marjorie Yates, and introducing David Rintoul as the werewolf. See Legend of the Werewolf. A Tyburn Film Production. It's the Scream's thrilled classic of all time, The Phantom of the Opera, masterpiece of the macabre, in color, The Phantom of the Opera. I am Dr. Lee Cushing. Welcome to my Chamber of Horrors. Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors is a serialized monster rally novel in the tradition of the classic Universal and Hammer horror films. It's written by Stephen D. Sullivan, the award-winning author of White Zombie, Daikaiju Attack, Manos, The Hands of Fate, and the original chill role-playing game. My goal is to recreate the thrills of the monster vs. monster films that we all love. We'll have vampires, werewolves, mummies, psychic twins, and scheming madmen. And that's just in the first storyline. Now you can get Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors and other monster stories sent directly to your email for as little as a dollar a month. For just two dollars, you'll get all the chapters in advance, plus bonus stories and other perks. Sign up now at CushingHorrors.com or visit SDSullivan.com for a Patreon link. I do hope you've enjoyed your visit. Please come again and remember, the chamber is always waiting for its next victim. This is Count Dracula, and I'm here to offer you a friendly warning. Derek and his guests often get excited, and occasionally this results in revealing key plot points of the movies they're discussing. You know how the children of the night, ah, I mean monster kids, can get sometimes. So consider yourself warned, and don't come begging to me to kill them for their transgressions afterward. I have more pressing issues to take care of. Like that pesky Van Helsing. You know, I love having new voices on the show, but I also love having old friends back in the mix. And I'd like to welcome old friend, Dr. Drek, Michael Leggy. Welcome back to Monster Kid Radio, sir. Hello, and the, the old is very accurate. Well, <laughs> I wasn't trying to imply anything. <laughs> <laughs> my brain is still 12 years old, but my body is more like 65, so... Hey, that's what counts. That's what counts, right? You gotta gotta keep keep the uh, the, the monster kid alive somehow. Emphasis on the kid. It's called never maturing. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> well, it's been a little while since we've had you on the show. Uh, how is the new year treating you so far? New year. How's twenty seventeen treating you? New year, three months in. Come on. Well, um, <laughs> probably like a lot of other places in the country, the weather around here is just loony. February was warm. It was like spring, and now we're into March, and it's acting like January. So it's. And I hate winter. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, mean, I, like, I like the other three seasons. I'm in New England, but I really hate winter. I don't, I don't blame you. We, we've had screwy weather out here on the West Coast as well. So, I, I yeah. Ah, not, not fun. 
Otherwise, pretty soon, a uh, couple of months, we'll start making new uh, Dr. Dredge shows for their, I guess it's the 13th season now. Wow. Lucky 13. <laughs> oh, congrats. Th- is that 13 years now? Of yeah, show? 13 years wow. of this stuff. That's fantastic. And you still haven't run out of movies. No. Uh, a few years ago, I thought I was going to. Then I says, well, I either, I either got to figure out to expand the genre a little bit or just come to an end. And that's when I decided to start including uh, mysteries into the mix. You know, they're, they're not supernatural or, you know, they, but they are kind of weird or spooky. If they've got some kind of weird or spooky element to it, then I think they qualify. So I've uh, been doing uh, things like that. I'm going to show at least upcoming one weird Western. There's a few of them floating around, too. Oh, really? Can yeah. You, can you say the title? It's called Mystery Ranch. Okay. The selling points of it is that the bad guy who is a psychopath is Charles Middleton, Ming, Ming the Merciless. And uh, wow. his uh, henchman is Noble Johnson, who uh, people would know from King Kong as the, the chief. Mm-hmm. And he was in The Mummy. Uh, he was in um, Ghostbreakers as the zombie. Uh, he got around. It's, it's a very uh, almost film noirish kind of Western. So you find them. It's strange. There's nothing, like I said, supernatural about it, but it's got a spooky atmosphere. I like that you are doing more than just the typical pulling from the 50-pack from Mill Creek of public domain horror movies. I think that's great that you're trying to bring in some other stuff. Because you're right. If you look hard enough, if you look far enough, you'll find the spooky elements in a mystery, in a film noir, in a western that's fantastic. I'm excited for you. You know, a lot of the stuff that I like to watch myself are really old. <laughs> I like the 30s and the 40s movies a lot. You know, I think uh, a lot of people, especially the younger generation, I'm not going to know them. Never seen them before. Never heard of them. Maybe I can get some people, new people, hooked on them. Or yeah. at, least, at least have an open mind about them. A lot of people, like I've said in, in the books, misunderstand B-movies. They're not looking at them in the right way. They're looking at them like they're an A movie, and they're really a totally different animal. This is true. You have to have an open mind when you look at them, and you have to realize that they were made for fun. They weren't made to be great social statements or high-tech stuff. They're comic book movies. That's the way I like to call them. You don't pick up an amazing Spider-Man and say, well, this isn't realistic. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, uh, comic book movies that are all going on now um, – they're, not, they're nothing new. They were called movie serials. Flash Gordon and uh, Mandrake the Magician, The Phantom, those are all old serials that just had no money or very little money going towards them. And now they've got multi-million dollar ones. It's just the same thing with a lot of money. I want to. You touched on something that I wanted to thank you for on the show. And I've mentioned this, I think, uh, in passing and, and maybe to some people. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine last night or yesterday about this. You caught me on something, actually. A while back, I had you on the show, and I think it might have been the first time you were on, and we were speaking about uh, in some of these lower-budget movies, and I would say something like, I know it's a bad movie, or it's a terrible movie, but I love it anyway. And you corrected me. You caught me, and it's something that I've really held on to ever since. They're not terrible movies. If they make you happy, they're, it's a good movie. Yeah. yeah. And that that has kind of changed the way... I describe these movies and even approach these movies in a way. I mean, I loved them anyway, like I said, but mm. I don't view them as terrible movies. They might not have the greatest budget. They might not have the greatest talent. They might not have the greatest aspirations, but if they make you smile, if you enjoy watching them, it doesn't matter. It's a good movie. Right. And that's something that I, I want to thank you for and I appreciate you for. Well, 
Good, I have one convert anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, it didn't take much because I loved these movies anyway, like I said. But, you know, th- these movies are good movies. If you enjoy them, that's it. And you made a comment, you know, you're not looking for deep social commentary. If you look for it, you might find it. Sometimes you do, yeah. <laughs> but they don't have to be just about that. And I love it. Right. And I think I may have mentioned before that you can take any, any movie and make fun of it. I don't care what it is. Yeah, that's true. You can take the greatest classics in the world that everybody adores, and you can sit there and make fun of it. That that doesn't make it a bad movie. Exactly. I think that's important. You know, and that's the thing. If people just uh, think everything is up to be ridiculed, then you're not going to enjoy anything in life. You might as well give up. Yeah. (laughs) All right, we're, we're getting kind of serious here. We're getting kind of deep. Let's, let's, let's lighten yes. it up a little bit. You know, yes. one thing that we do with our listeners here on Monster Kid Radio, and I think we did it with you when you had we had you on the show before, we play that classic five card game where I have the five questions, uh, yes or no questions about classic monster movies, you know, this or that style questions, no wrong answers. I have a new deck. Ah. When we have repeat visitors to the show, I like to go through the new deck. So are you ready to play round two of the classic five with us, Michael? Yes, I am. All right, here we go. It's a pretty good shuffle here. All right. The new deck, question number one. What character from a classic monster movie should run for political office? Uh, a monster that should run for the Invisible Man. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. I, I would love to see an empty podium, and then you hear this guy talking, giving speeches. That would be funny. <laughs> In that Claude Rains voice, too. (laughs) My fellow Americans. (laughs) All right. Card number two. Oh, okay. What classic monster movie that never had a sequel should have had one? Never had a sequel. Hmm. Wow, that is hard. You really got me on that one. Uh Uh-oh. Classic monster movie that should... How about it came from outer space? Ooh, okay. Yeah. I mean, they could have come back, you know. They left something behind, you know. They left their briefcase behind, yeah. Oh, there you go. They came back from outer space. (laughs) They came back from outer space. (laughs) All right, card number three. Uh, What classic monster movie should be remade as a musical? (laughs) Um, It's got elements of music in it already, so let's go all the way with Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. There you go. (laughs) Expand that, that festival of the new, whatever. And all that guy, you know. Yep. <laughs> Lon Chaney sang the beginning of Spider Baby, so you know he can sing oh, that's, that. And... That's right. <laughs> that's right. Okay. All right. So card number four. Who else should have played Dracula? Conrad Veidt. Oh wow! You know we were just talking about him the other day on the show a couple weeks back. Yeah, that would be fantastic. No, he definitely could have done it. Oh yeah. All right. Final card. If you could go back in time to see a classic monster movie. During its opening run, what movie would that be? Frankenstein. Yeah? Yeah. And so no hesitation there, huh? No hesitation. I mean, really, because after all these years, it's it's so easy to just be inured to his, uh, his face. But I can imagine being there the first time where people have never seen that makeup before. Yeah. It's one of my fantasies, I, and I know it'll never happen, yeah. obviously. But I would love to do, be able to do that, just to step into a movie theater and watch one of these movies with a crowd that's never seen it before. Yeah. Just and had no idea what was going to happen. Oh. Yeah. If I had a second choice, it would be the silent fan of the opera. With the unmasking scene? Right, yeah. Yep. Well, that was round two of the Classic Five. How do you think you did? 
I don't know. Um, I think I got five out of five. See, there you go. <laughs> what do I win? Uh, you get to be on Monster Kid Radio. <laughs> oh, boy. When's that going to happen? <laughs> and you get to promote the new book. Oh, yes, yes, yes. There we go. There we go. So I'm holding in my hands right now a copy of the new book. Book number two from Michael Legge. It's called Monster Kidding. It's available right now on Kindle and through Amazon, so you can pick it up that way. Like I said, it's your second book. And are you now hooked on the book writing thing? Kind of, yeah. After I wrote the first book, I didn't think I was going to write another one. But after I had stopped writing about those movies, I said, geez, I got a lot more to say. So, bang, I started just writing another book. Because the first one was confined to just the movies that I'd shown on my program. Right. So I couldn't talk about any of the classics or any of the others. So I decided to uh, cover them in the second book, along with just kind of monster kid culture, I guess you'd call it. Um, being one of the original monster boomers, just it's very hard to describe growing up in the 50s and 60s to people and how that monster craze really took hold. Our mutual friend Steve Sullivan will know what I'm talking about. Sure. So I just wanted to try to convey that to the people that uh, what seems like a fad at the time was not because it continues to this day. Yeah, I'm not one of the original monster kids. I've not tried to claim that I am. I, I was not there for the original run. So whenever I'm able to find uh, a book or an article or interviews with people who were there, I'm, I'm just fascinated and captivated. And, and just imagine living during that time and be able to, to see some of these things on television or to see the toys or, man, to see famous monsters from Filmland on the magazine rack. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That would be an amazing experience. And, and reading your book here, I get some of that. I mean, your, your book is, it breaks down some of the movies, but it also has a section on toys, for example. Oh, yeah. And you've got comments on some of the magazines and such. And uh, I got to ask, these toys that you mentioned, do you still have any of them today? No. Oh, man. Much to my regret. Yeah. Because who knew? <laughs> really, who knew then? <laughs> so some of the toys in here, you, know, you got Big Frankie, you got Odd Og, which I've never heard of before. Oh, God, that was, yeah, that was really funny. <laughs> it was, uh, well, as I described in the book, it was just, it looked like a, it was supposed to be half turtle and half frog. And uh, you rolled a little ball on the floor and you tried to get it into the middle part of his body underneath and he would come to you. But if you got off center, he would go backwards and stick his tongue out at you and make a noise, bah, 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 like that. So <laughs> he kind of prevent, uh, prepared you for adulthood. But oh yeah, yeah, he was. That was cool. That was. Uh, I remember Odd Og. Yeah, I wish I had all those. I like a lot of people. I've been on eBay and I see things like the Great Garlu, which was a really cool. That was like a Ray Harryhausen robot to have or something. Well, he wasn't oh, yeah. a robot. He was like a monster. He looked like something out of the Seventh Voyage of Sinbad. And I can see how much money they're worth now. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. eBay is. Yeah. I, I was, was going to be my next question. Have you gone to eBay to see if you can reclaim your childhood this way? And yeah, I would imagine it'd be pretty expensive to see some of these things on there. Oh, yeah. And of course, the, uh, the biggest toy on there was Big Lou. He was three feet tall. And at the time, he was almost as tall as me. Of course, now he'd seem small, but at th that time, you know, God, these things were big. Big Lou, uh, what, what, it was like a like a robot. Robot commando, he fired a dart out of the top of his head. And Creeple people, I remember Creeple people. Some people might remember them. Green Ghost, you can still get on eBay, Green Ghost game. Yeah, 
Yeah. They're just great. And I love the pictures you've included in here. And, and I just, like I said, I imagine what it would have been like to have been a kid and to have these as just brand new and not really knowing what they are and coming into this, walking into the department store and boom, there it is on the shelf. And wow. Yeah. Oh, I remember walking into toy stores and seeing those things. Says, I want that for Christmas. There was, yeah, there was a lot of variations of Frankenstein, too. One of them I didn't have on there was a battery-operated, uh, like, mini Frankenstein that would uh, bend over and pick up things with his hands. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, no, that was only the tip of the iceberg in terms of, uh, of monster toys. There could be a whole book just of monster toys during that time. I was going to ask if there was anything that, after the book was done, you're like, oh, I should have put this in there or that in there. And does that mean there's going to be a book three? <laughs> <laughs> No, not at, not on that level anyway. But uh, okay, yeah, I think that probably the biggest things were robots. You, there was so many different variations on robots that you could get. Uh-huh. Not just famous ones like uh, Robbie or Lost in Space ones, but just generic robots that you could buy, which I had a few of at the time. But I remember a robot dog I had with a red nose that lit up. Like today, you get these mass-produced things. You can go on Amazon and order it, and boom, it's in your house in three days. There just had to have been something different about walking into the store and seeing it. Oh, yeah. And, and, and hoping you find it. And, and wow, just. Ah. You can get a taste of it if you go on um, YouTube and uh, look for monster commercials. You might find some of the older ones. I've seen some of the older ones. And it, that brings yeah. me back. Yeah. Those are pretty fun. Yeah. It's sort of so naive and innocent at the same time. You know? <laughs> yeah. A different era. <laughs> So your toys, the toy section's in the back of the book, uh, right before some of your guest essays. But the very beginning of the book starts with, I would call a vintage Halloween costume picture. Is this a picture from your childhood? Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm the smaller one. My brother is the bigger one. <laughs> so I'm, I'm seeing a Casper the Ghost, and is that a, a robot? Yeah, it's a robot. Yeah. Okay. I think it's one of those probably Ben Cooper things that they used to make. Does it say Ricky Rivets across the head there? Yeah, it very well could. I, my eyes can't adjust to it, but it could have very well said that. And these are another, this is another thing that I love looking at, uh, the, these older Halloween costume pictures, uh, pictures from previous Halloweens, because today you get the loud and garish and bright. And, and very realistic, too. And, and very cool, but there's, a, there's something about these these older style, these old school, like you said, Ben Cooper masks and, and that plastic tarp material that would have across the chest what it is you're supposed to be dressed up as. Right. Yeah. <laughs> There's just something about that. That's just really neat. Yeah. Yeah. Although I think they were highly flammable, which wasn't a good idea. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, that wasn't so neat, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you were going as the human torch. And then, of course, you've also got in here the horror host or the host that you mentioned last time I had you on here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, a picture of, uh, oh, what was his name again? I'm sorry. Oh, there it is right there. I've got the book in front of me. Ed McDonald, yeah. Yep. Yep. He was the Boston guy. Yeah. Feep was the name Feep. of the character. Yep. yep. New Englanders, or at least Boston area people, remember Feep from the 60s. Now, the way the book is structured, it's a collection of essays, a collection of memories, basically, from, from Dr. Dreck. Like he said earlier, listeners, in the first book, Dr. Dreck's B-Movie Museum, it, it's a collection of thoughts on the movies that he's shown over the years on his, now on his 13th year program. Yeah. Uh, and, and this book is a collection of, uh, not necessarily more, more generic, but like, for lack of a better term, a more generic collection of Monster Kid memories. There's some comments on a lot of movies. I mean, there's a lot of movie talk in here. And again, I'm going through this book just like I did with the last one. 
Yep. I've seen that one. Yep. I love that one too. <laughs> yeah. That's a good one too. And I love that you've got all the teenage Frankenstein werewolf movies all in one section, all clumped together. Yeah. I was just, again, I was just talking with somebody yesterday, Chris McMillan, who's been on the show quite a bit about these movies and the teenage Frankenstein and teenage werewolf movies. I love these movies and it's a shame they're not available commercially right now on DVD. Yeah. And, uh, as I pointed out, it's because, uh, Nicholson's uh, wife is holding on to the rights. I don't know. Uh, she's going to be dead before uh, those things uh, come out, I think. It's uh, Susan Hart, right? Let's yeah. yeah. Um, it's, it's ridiculous because she uh, could have been making probably a lot of money off of them. But I know it's uh, those two, and I think uh, the Saucer Men, she's won't let released. There's probably others I can't think of. It Conquered the World, I think, is another one. Yeah, there's uh, uh, like 11 of the movies yeah. from, the, and it's, it's, from that era. It's a shame. It's It's terrible yeah i don't know what the story is or what the situation is uh you know why it's so difficult to get those i know that every once in a while she makes them available or, or will allow people to license them yeah. for a theatrical screening but that's about it i remember the first time i saw these movies were actually on vhs so i know that there at one point she did allow them to be put out on vhs and, and that's how i saw them the first time around and then like an idiot when i got a dvd player i sold all my vhs tapes because i thought everything's gonna be on dvd right <laughs> Yeah, I not, had, not so much. I did have those VHS copies uh, of Teenage uh, Werewolf and Frankenstein. The interesting thing was that the uh, Teenage Frankenstein that came out on VHS was the British version. Oh, yeah? Which has cuts in it. The most famous one that struck me was um, during um, the last third of the movie when they get Gary Conway as New Faith. Uh-huh. You know, first, basically, Gary Conway goes out and kills Gary Conway to get his face. <laughs> and it goes back to the lab for a shot where uh, Whit Bissell pulls the cover off of, like a birdcage and Gary Conway's head is in there with his eyes rolled up. And that's in the American version, which I remember seeing on TV when I first saw it. So then when I got the VHS copies, I said, oh, they, they cut out the head in the birdcage <laughs> and it's in the trailer which is the American trailer. So I knew I wasn't dreaming it. You commented on that too. You have a picture of the, yeah. the face, uh, a still from the trailer uh, in yeah. the book and you were commenting on it. And yeah, I do remember him going out and killing Conway, but I think now that I think about it, I, I don't remember seeing that. And I know there are bootleg copies of this movie floating around. You go to conventions, you're going to find people selling them. I don't know if that's the version that's available out there or not. Well, I did exchange emails with Susan Hart once a local drive in here and I were trying to get permission to show one or two of these movies at the end of their season last year. And we exchanged a couple emails uh, and then Wade Williams got involved and just the money, the cost went up. Yeah. Okay. So this is the first of the two cut-ins that you're going to hear from me during this conversation with Michael Ledger. You know, we started talking about Wade Williams and we started talking about who owns what copyright public domain. And you know, Sometimes I try to curtail those conversations, but recently during the Monster Kid Radio listener survey, I actually had some people say that they were interested in hearing about that sort of thing. So while we don't dive deeply into it because, well, this episode is supposed to be about his book, Michael and I do talk a little bit about copyright stuff. So hope you enjoy. And yeah, we'll get back to the book and monster movies and all that other stuff. So back to the show. I have uh, looked for films and found them on the copyright uh, website of the, you know, copyright gov sure and you can find renewals of some titles but if you go back which i can and look in all copyright files of the year they came out they were never registered to begin with so as far as i can see that's not 
how can you renew something that never was registered? Right. For the film itself, you're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. There's been a couple of cases where something would slip back into ownership, but not because the movie itself. Uh, something like, uh, well, the, the classic example is It's a Wonderful Life, where elements of that movie did slip back into copyright, but not the movie itself. But because an element of the movie is now in copyright with somebody else, they can't show the movie overall. I fa- I'm fascinated by copyright law, and I'm sure people are getting tired of me saying it. But I geek out yeah. on this whole thing, copyright and trademark. I'm fascinated by all of this. And it's a, it gets so messy. <laughs> Once you start getting really into it, it's a mess. And I think I remarked on it in the first book, but I think it's gotten really ridiculous. Yes. Mostly due to people like corporations like Disney and other ones that they want to have their copyright forever, basically. And and I get it. I mean, the Walt Disney Company doesn't want anybody doing whatever they wanted with Mickey Mouse. I get it. But it impacts the shared pop culture and, and even non-pop culture because it applies to things like scientific papers and things like that. It It mm. is so – restrictive and draconian that I know it's just so frustrating and uh, it's it's weird because it's uh, you got two sides fighting against each other you've got the uh, the corporations and everything that want to have their copyright forever and then you got people on the internet that think everything should be free from day one yeah so you got them clashing and there's got to be a midway point I, I personally thought that the old system was fair yeah because uh, you could have copyright for 56 years that way and that's a long time it really is. Now it's like almost 100 years. It's 95, I think. Right, and there's always efforts to extend it. And yeah. mm. significantly, the copyright law has changed three times since it's been out. And they're always trying to finesse it and make it longer. And I don't think corporations should be able to ex- have that sort of benefit of ownership. Once the creator has passed on, even if it's a work for higher peace, come on. I, I, I get yeah. it. Like I said, I get it. Mickey Mouse. They don't want something to happen with Mickey Mouse. I get it. But that's what trademarks for. Put a trademark on Mickey Mouse. Don't play with right. the copyright stuff. Yeah. I just. Uh. Yeah. I mean, I obviously I'm far from being a famous person or something, but you know, I wouldn't want any of my books or movies after I'm gone to be unavailable. You're famous you know? as far as I'm concerned, sir. <laughs> In my own mind. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, I, I would like to think that after I'm gone, that they're still out there circulating and that somebody hasn't hoarded them and, you know, just won't release them. It's, it's unfortunate and so frustrating. So many of these movies that we love so much, we just can't get. And my fear is that what happens when Susan Hart, hope it doesn't happen anytime soon, obviously I don't wish ill on anybody, but when she passes on, what happens to these movies? Who owns the rights to these at this point? I don't know. Does she have kids? I don't know. I would think that it would be maybe a situation where if the kids or the whoever the survivors get hold of it, that they'll want to you know, make some money out of it maybe. I don't know. Uh, I did find a list of some of the other movies that she owns the rights to. So it conquered the world. Oh, Zontar the Thing from Venus, Invasion of the Saucermen, and its remake, The Eye Creatures. Uh, I was a Teenage Frankenstein, Teenage Werewolf, The Amazing Colossal Man, which has had a VHS release, I'm sure. Yes, that has been out. Yeah. Uh, Terror from the year 5000, and then a couple of non-genre films, Apache Woman, The Oklahoma Woman, and Naked Paradise. Strange. I wonder why it broke down like that, that uh, she got a hold of just that bunch. Yeah, so AIP was James Nicholson and... Sam Arkoff, yeah. And I believe they got split. So Nicholson kept some and Arkoff kept some. And that's how she ended up with these. We would have been better off, I guess, if Arkoff got them all. Yeah, I probably, because he was all about, <laughs> let's make money. money yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Well, she is still alive and I think in Washington somewhere. So if anybody knows how to get a hold of Susan Hart, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> let her know. I would love to have her on Monster Kid Radio. I'd love to talk to her about this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we could go on and on about this, but we're not having a legal seminar here. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true. Ne- neither one of us are lawyers. Do not. <laughs> <laughs> Don't try this at yeah, home. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I want to go back to your book because that's what we're here to talk about, right? Oh, yeah. I, I want to go back to, to Monster Kidding. Uh, like I said, uh, the bulk of it is let's talk about this movie. Let's talk about that movie. And you do have some other sections here as well. You talk about the Bella Stein monster, which I love calling it that. I, I don't think I've seen it referred to as that, but yeah, the Bella Stein monster with Bela playing Frankenstein's monster in Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. Yep. Mm-hmm. I think it's an underrated performance myself. I, I dig that movie quite well. I love them all, but I, I think it's an underrated performance and such a shame that we don't get to hear his dialogue. We just don't know. I mean, what I had mentioned or, you know, commented on was that, uh, I would think he would talk in Igor's voice. Yeah. And not like Dracula. Well, that's what we got at the end of the previous film. Yeah. And like I said, if he was damaged, you know, his vocal cords could be raspy and his uh, delivery might be halting. I don't know why that would uh, strike people funny. If it did, the executives, I don't know. Who knows? But it just seems so stupid that they took that out, took out, uh, referenced his blindness and made him look bad. Basically, the stereotypical image we get of Frankenstein's monster, if you talk to somebody who's not in it the way we are, is they put their hands out and they do that kind of walking thing. Yeah. You don't get that in the first couple of films. You only get that because Bela was playing him as a blind character. Right. Mm. And then it's never referenced in the film that he's blind. So forever, you know, we get this this attribute given to Frankenstein's monster uh, that Lugosi gave us. But, ah. Uh, so frustrating. I feel like Lugosi got a bad rap. If you look at him during the course of the movie, if you look at his eyes, he was trying yeah. to keep his eyes dead. And then at the very end, when he's getting revived, you see that leer come over his face like, hey, I can see again. Yep. And that's totally lost on the audience. And it's such a creepy moment, too. Yeah. Mm. When he gets that look, it's like, oh, yes. So that's the Lugosi. That's Bela right there. I'm, I'm a huge Lugosi fan. And I think we all are. I just feel like he's such an underrated and underappreciated part of our horror history, especially when you compare him to the others, which you really shouldn't. I said in the book, too, that uh, I think he and Dwight Fry were really treated shabbily by Universal. And again, I got to thank you because of you. I was very excited to see a screening of The Crimes of Dr. Crespi, speaking of Dwight Fry. Mm -hmm. Fantastic film. Yeah, that's a bizarre little uh, unknown movie for the most part. And he's so good in it. Yeah, and he's one of his rare, like, good guy roles, really. He's the, well, kind of one of the heroes, and he's so good. And you can see the range if you compare that to, like, Dracula or Frankenstein. Just so fantastic. Listeners, if you haven't seen Crimes of Dr. Crespi, you need to see it. Yeah, and plus Eric von Stroheim. Oh, yes. (laughs) Mr. Evil. (laughs) Oh, such a great villain. Such a great villain. (laughs) Uh, other things that you touch on in the book. So it's not just Universal where I'm talking about Bela. It's not just AIP. You are touching on all of the big players in the classic horror game. You've got Toho when you're talking about the Mysterians. You've got Hammer when you're talking about the Brides of Dracula. This book is for us, man. Yeah. Uh, this this book is for people like us, these movies. And I, I can't help but think that you were channeling each and every one of us while you were writing this book. I think I'll have a lot of probably disagreement over my opinion of Curse of the Werewolf. 
All right, let's talk about Curse of the Werewolf. Okay, I, I was I didn't know if I was going to bring that up or not because yeah. So for listeners, without spoiling the book, your thoughts on Curse of the Werewolf? Well, now I'll spoil the book because I'm going to tell you. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, okay. For years, I had been looking forward to seeing that movie because, like I said, I used to see tantalizing pictures of it in Famous Monsters, and I just thought this is a really cool looking werewolf. Oh, he's great. And when when I finally got to see the movie, I just waited and waited and waited. <laughs> And then in the last 10 minutes, we finally see him and they kill him off. Bang. That's it. Just thought, why waste a great makeup like that? Only showing it at the end. And they had so much backstory to even get the story off the ground that it just wasted a lot of time, I think. Nothing against Oliver Reed. I thought he was great in the part. And, you know, the usual Hammer production values were there. To me, the, the fault was in the script itself. They obviously weren't trying to make us think it was in his head because halfway through it, we see his hand in an objective shot, which means that, yeah, he really is a werewolf when he kills the mm-hmm. prostitute. Mm-hmm. And that's where I cite in the book that, all right, let's show him from that point on. But also let's condense that very beginning so that we get the movie off to a good start without waiting 20 minutes just to get to the, the actual story itself. I always found it a disappointment, and I, I still do. It's, I don't hate it, but I'm not in love with it like a lot of people are. It's probably telling that Hammer only did the one werewolf movie. And there are werewolf elements in some of the other films, but it's probably telling that they did, what, seven Dracula, seven Frankenstein, but only one werewolf film. And I love that movie for a lot of different reasons. Like you said, it's got the typical Hammer production values. I think it sounds great. And that look for the werewolf is iconic. The ripped white shirt that he's wearing the cuffs are still attached but the sleeves are worn out i i love the look of the monster so much and oliver reed (laughs) if oliver reed was ever meant to play a monster it's a wolf (laughs) man he is a werewolf i mean that's just who he is to me because everything you read about him and see about him and seeing him on late night show appearances and all that it's like you can't help but think yeah that guy full moon (laughs) comes out you don't want to be anywhere near him but (laughs) Uh, it, I, would, I could have used more werewolf action in that, definitely. I mentioned another film. I don't know if you ever saw Legend of the Werewolf, which was a British it's production. A, I it's from what, the 70s? If memory serves, Peter Cushing's in it. I think so, too, yeah. And Ron Moody, the British uh, character actor. But in that, the, the makeup of the werewolf is just is more or less the same, mm-hmm. except that you see him much more through the movie. It's a, in some ways, it's a lesser movie than Curse of the Werewolf, but in some ways, it's better because we get to see the monster that we're waiting for off and on during the whole thing. You know, so it's too bad that the, we couldn't have blended the two movies into one. <laughs> oh yeah, there you go. But if you haven't seen that one, uh, you should try to catch it. I, that I don't think is available. I, I have an old VHS copy of it. I think I've seen it, but it would have been years ago and, and probably blended in my mind with three or four other Peter Cushing films. So, you know, you mentioned The Invisible Man earlier when we were talking about when we did the Classic Five. And you've got a section in this book where you talk about, just in general, Universal's Dracula films, Universal's Frankenstein films. And you do have a section on The Invisible Man films as well. Mm-hmm. I think The Invisible Man sequels are fascinating. It's so different. All over the place. Uh, from Invisible Girl to... Invisible Agent to Revenge of the Invisible Man sequels. Which one's your favorite? Invisible um, Man Returns, I would say, just uh, because of the actors in it and that uh, Vincent Price's first real, I guess, horror role. 
that I can think of. And yeah, yeah. Like I said, uh, he's got the great voice that you need for the Invisible Man. If you're trying to find somebody to follow up Claude Rains' yeah. voice, I think you got to go with Price, right? I do wonder if Invisible Girl was really meant to be part of any of that anyway. Uh, you know, we see it now in the box sets. It's always lumped in there with the other Invisible Man sequels when you get a, a release of, of these films from Universal, which they tend to do every four, five, six years. Mm-hmm. But I do wonder if when that movie came out, they had intended to consider it part of that, I guess, franchise or, or what the plan was. I don't think there's any Griffins in it, is there? I, I haven't no. seen that in a long time. I just It's John Barrymore. It's and, completely different. There's yeah. no serum. It's a machine. Right, yeah. It's it's just so off the wall <laughs> compared to the other movies. Well, it is basically. It's like a comedy fantasy almost. It's Yeah. It depends, you know, if you look at it that way. Uh, that's why I never really considered it part of the franchise of the Invisible Man series. Mm-hmm. The six iconic monsters make up the last part of the book. Dracula, Frankenstein, the Invisible Man, uh, the Mummy, the Creature, the Wolfman. Yeah, uh, is that six? <laughs> I, th- I think so. I kind of lost count there. I've only had one cup of coffee this morning, so I don't know. But uh, <laughs> I, I lost track. That's six. And I always get hung up because every once in a while, Universal will always include their Phantom of the Opera in the mix. Mm-hmm. When they talk about their big iconic monsters, even though they only did the one during that time period. Right, yeah. It's so different compared to the other ones, partly because it's in color. But it, it just doesn't have the same vibe that you get from some of the other movies. Yeah, I mean, Claude Rains is great, obviously. Uh, sure. To me, to me, it was just too much opera. That's where uh, they really, really veered off from the uh, novel and always had it be an accident that he got disfigured. Because yeah. in the novel, he, he was born that way. And apparently in the Lon Chaney one, he was that's just the way he looked. He was born that way. So I guess they tried to make him more sympathetic later on. I always liked the Phantom of the Opera. Uh, Chaney version is the best one as far as I'm concerned. Oh, it's it's a classic. It's yeah. iconic. Yeah, it, it's again, it, it's built into our DNA as monster kids that that is the Phantom of the Opera. That said, Universal one's got some things to enjoy, and and I kind of enjoy the Hammer one as well. I do too, actually. I like Herbert Long. Oh, he's great. Completely underrated. When yeah. you look at all the Phantoms, I feel like he is completely underrated as a Phantom character. And again, though, the story is so <laughs> off off the rails compared to the original yeah. novel or the. The silent film that we love so much. He's not even Eric in the Hammer version of it. Right. He's just a Professor Petrie. He's a great looking phantom <laughs> mask on. That's the mask be, is fantastic. That's like the ugliest mask ever. <laughs> it, and it's, phantom, it's yeah. yeah. Well, it's that classic Hammer look. I mean, this this yeah. is right when a Hammer was really in their stride. You know, with, with the production design, the music, the makeup, the direction, the acting. And this, that's when Hammer really had it, mm-hmm. I, feel, I feel like. I saw it in the theater when it first came out, and I was such a wuss that I turned away when he took his mask off at the end. I was scared to look at him. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. It wasn't until long later I got to see his face, but I was only a little kid then. So. <laughs> and when you saw it, did it hold up to what you'd built up in your mind? No, I thought it was much worse. He only <laughs> had like a little burn on the side of his face. I thought his whole face would be a mess. <laughs> The end of your book, you've invited some of your friends to contribute essays. Yes. And uh, I'm, I'm very excited. I think my favorite essay here is the one that you end the book with, written by this guy named Derek Koch. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I, I think you pronounced his name wrong. I think it's Koch. Oh, I th- yeah, probably. I don't yeah. Know. <laughs> 
Now, I'm, I'm in the book, but that's not why I bring it up. You've got Steve Sullivan, who we've mentioned before, Dwight Kemper, who's the person who introduced me to you, uh, John Woolley from Forgotten Horrors. Yep. That's fantastic because the Forgotten Horrors book series and then the associated podcast must see reading and listening. Mm, I love those guys. Both And uh, Mike Price was uh, in my first book, writing the foreword. Yeah. Because we are like-minded. To listeners, if you're not familiar with the Forgotten Horror series, you got to go back and you got to check these things out. Uh, you're going to need some bookshelf space because there's, what, nine, ten volumes now at least? Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of them. And the approach they take to these movies, it's the approach that Michael's got. It's the approach that I take. It doesn't matter what the budget was. It doesn't matter what the restrictions were. They talk about these movies and give them the reverence that they deserve because they're just enjoyable films. I can't tell you how many movies that I've been introduced to through them. Yeah. Well, same here. Yeah. What was great about them was that I didn't, you know, know either of those guys. And uh, I just wrote to them when I was doing these books and asked them if they would like to contribute something to it. And they both did. They're just incredibly generous uh, guys, and uh, I'm so thankful that they both contributed. The books are great, and to have them involved here, it's not just your approach. I mean, you've got, like I said, these other voices here. you got John Wally Kemper, Sullivan. Uh, I want to mention the other two. You've got Douglas Waltz, and I am so sorry. I can never pronounce her last name. Danielle? Galerter. Galerter. Penny Dreadful. Penny Dreadful, yeah. Yeah, and she's contributed a piece here as well. Are those the, the six names? Did I miss anybody? Sounds like all of them. That was kind of an afterthought when I was finishing it up. I thought, you know, I shouldn't be the lone voice here. I should get like a mixture of monster kids of different ages and have them put in their two cents. You know, that's one of the things that I love about this community. One of the things I love about being a monster kid, I've been involved in other genres. I've been involved in contemporary horror podcasting and, and zombie movie podcasting. And, and those are great too, but I haven't found uh, a tight knit community the way that I've found in the monster kid community. I feel like so much of us are so, and, and I'm sure there's people that can come up with exceptions, but my personal experience, I have never found anybody who has not been willing to talk about these movies, share their knowledge, let somebody borrow a DVD, recommend a book. This community, this Monster Kid community, I, I am so proud to be part of it. It's such a warm, welcoming place. I mean, I meet people like you. And this book, not just these essays from these, these guests that you've included, but just the through line in this book to me feels like, you know, this, this is kind of a handbook. This is what it means to be a Monster Kid, and we're all on the same page here. I just, I love being part, I don't know, I'm kind of losing my point, but I just, I love it. I love being a monster kid, man. (laughs) I think part of it is that when when you're growing up and you like that sort of thing, that you feel like a weirdo. And then when you get older, you realize you are a weirdo, but that there's a lot of other, (laughs) but there's a lot of other weirdos out there. And then you feel like, oh, my people. My tribe. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. You know, I, I think back and like I said, I was one of the original monster kids. I, I came around later, but in grade school, I'm drawing pictures of monsters on my notebook paper while the teacher's talking about something from, you know, a history book or doing a math lesson. And I'm drawing big faces, you know, in color on my notebook paper instead of taking notes or paying attention. And I can't think anybody else was doing that in my class. Mm. But I'm sure around the world, or at least throughout the country, there were people doing that. And now, through the miracle of modern technology, you know, through the internet, through podcasting, through being able to put out books like this and not have to worry about finding a publisher and not worrying about finding some gatekeeper to say, okay, we'll publish your book. And then three months later, it comes out and there's no advertising and it's just kind of a drop in the water. 
we live in an age now where us monster kids can connect. It's amazing because we're not alone, you know? Oh, yeah. You're not alone. We are legion. So I want to know what's coming up next. Well, I was – after I'd finished the second book, I said uh, to myself, I said, self, uh, I kind of enjoyed doing this. I didn't think I would. Uh, It would be so much fun just to sit down and write. I said, well, what else could I do? And uh, I thought, well, one of my other big loves is I love old pulp fiction stories. Uh And since my forte is really – humor or comedy, uh, like very silly, stupid kind of humor, I thought it would might be fun to write some uh, ridiculous pulp stories. I have a character that, as we mentioned before off mic, that nobody knows about, a podcast, an occasional podcast that I do called Fussy Eagleton Secret Bus Boy. And <laughs> it's not really a spoof of old time radio as much as, you know, superhero type of things. I must have done about a dozen podcasts of him which are on iTunes they're free if anybody wants to actually listen to them and I thought well that might be the jumping off point for at least one story is to use that character because uh, he seems like a spoof of a pulp fiction hero and then I've thought of other uh, characters and stuff from well my movies and things that I do that might fit pulp fiction stories so I can't say definitely that I'm going to go through with it I think any writer could say that a lot of times they start something and just say, ah, this is no good. I'm forget it. So that's where I am. I, I'm just, I'm starting, but I can't say that I'm going to go through with it. When you told me about Fussy Eagleton, my mind was blown because we've talked on Facebook quite a bit. We're friends on Facebook. I consider you a friend, but I had no idea that you had podcasting in your background. I'm like my brother. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it goes back quite a few years too, actually. Well, it's that old school, like you said, pulp story uh, approach, as well as old time radio, which if you're a fan of classic monster movies, if you're a monster kid, uh, I'm sure you can make the leap to old time radio and be a fan of that as well. It's not that hard to to make the jump. You said the word spoof, and I was like, I I don't know if I'd really call them spoofs. I mean, they're they're just a comedic story. Yeah. And and they're fun. And you do all the voices. Yep. (laughs) That's how cheap I am. No. (laughs) Well, you're just keeping it true to the original, right? That's right, yeah. Yeah. You do all the voices. Uh, you've written them all yourself, I assume. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're all original stories. And you've broken them up. There's even kind of like this, you know, this part one and part two, part one, and you know, this tune in next week kind of vibe. And and I love it. Uh, it's a lot of fun. It's Fussy Eagleton. It's F-U-S-S-Y and then Eagleton. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes. If I can, can I put a link to iTunes in the show notes? Look it up in iTunes. It's right there. You're not going to find many podcasts named Fussy Eagleton. This is true. Uh, you know, I look at it. looks like there was a huge gap. Did you only recently do another one earlier this uh, year? Yeah. Been a while? I, after all these years, I did another one. You know, I don't like have any schedule for it. You know, if some idea just comes into my mind, I'll do it. You know, have it put up there. A lot of them are like um, B-movie uh, elements into it anyway, because, you know, I've got Things like Attack of the 50-Foot-Foot foot and um, <laughs> what was it? The Maltese Milk Bottle. And uh, the Hole with the Mole Men. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, robot Gorillas or something. I, I, even I can't remember half of them. I did a Jerry Anderson spoof called String Theory. I don't know if you uh, <laughs> ran across that one. <laughs> 
I was using Fireball XL5 characters for it. Nice. Most of them are on the short side. The very first ones that I was doing on the longer side, because I was just starting out, and then I was saying, well, these should be something you could listen, should be able to listen to in one gulp. Mm-hmm. The first stories, the first few stories, like in different, uh, I think, two-parters. And you've got the three-parter frozen blockhead. So, listeners, if you need more Michael in your ear... <laughs> we'll look this up and uh, check it out monster kid radio seal of approval i dig it it's fun <laughs> and i'm not just saying that because michael's on the show and you can hear me say it uh, i do i do recommend it it's a lot of fun potentially a book uh more book works with with that and like you said at the beginning of this we've got the 13th year of dr Trek. yes yes is that a good thing or a bad thing no, based on how you just it- said that <laughs> No, it's it's a it's a good thing. It's always hard to get started again because we always have a big layoff. Okay. I mean, when you have a, a regular job you go through every day, you know, you don't think about it. You just go, um, all right, I go to work, I go home, I eat, I sleep, I go to work, I come home. <laughs> yeah. When I do the Drek uh, shows, it's like a you know six month layoffs in between, and then it's you got to get yourself revved up to do it again. Mm-hmm. At least when you're my age, you do. I don't know about anyone else. <laughs> What, what do you have coming up for this season of Dr. Drag? Can you talk about any plans yet? Uh, well, one of them is the one I mentioned called Mystery Ranch. Okay. Another obscure Republic um, movie called The Fatal Witness, which um, has Evelyn Anchors in it. Oh, I love Evelyn Anchors so much. Yeah. It was the Isle of a Mystery series. It was on Columbia movies. They made uh, three movies in Columbia. And okay. from my research, two of them fell into public domain. So I'm going to show one called The Unknown. They have always a, a mysterious aspect to them. Uh, okay. I'm finally going to get around to Bela Lugosi meets a Brooklyn gorilla. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> There's some I have to put off, but eventually <laughs> I get around to them. I'm sure someday I'll be showing Manos the Hand of Fate, but well, <laughs> not without warning people, I suppose. But <laughs> if I could show the creeping terror, I can show Manos. <laughs> yeah, I think Manos gets a bad rap. I'm still one of the people that enjoys watching it straight. It's, it's tough, but I still dig it. It makes me smile. It goes back to what I was saying yeah. earlier. Mm-hmm. It makes me smile, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, um, anybody that gets a movie made and out there deserves credit. Indeed. Easiest thing in the world is to sit on your rump and criticize movies and you know go out and make one yourself and then you'll see how it is yep. i should know yeah because you've made quite a few movies in the past you got any movies coming up uh we're gonna start one next month uh, okay called crawlers kind of a science fiction i guess it is a science fiction comedy but it's about um if anybody's familiar with the uh, movie the desperate hours where convicts invade a house and hold the family hostage this one has people from the future who live in the center of the earth appear in this these people's house and hold them hostage. Oh, okay. <laughs> and that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, several of your movies are available on Amazon right now. It looks like you can even stream some of them if you wanted to. So several of the movies are there. Is that the best place to find them these days? Yeah, they're either all there on uh, create space. Okay. One of the uh, ones that I had a lot of fun doing years ago was called monochromia. I was the, one of the villains and, and I basically was, Doing Vincent Price. <laughs> so, nice. Which I said, oh, I got to do Vincent Price for this. But that was a, a fun movie where because of a, a, a weapons test malfunction, um, the entire world lost their color vision. So everything they saw was black and white. So there was a, uh, a hunt on to find a magic formula that would restore people's color vision. So that was the, <laughs> the plot of that one. 
Okay. So the movie's in black and white. Nice. <laughs> Except the beginning. <laughs> well, well, yeah. It's a reverse, a reverse AIP movie. It's, oh, there you go. Colors at the beginning. Well, I love your movies. Uh, I've watched quite a few of them uh, through Amazon. Uh, you know, I'm a big fan of, of what you do. And I, if listeners want to be able to see you on television to see the program, how can people do that at this point? Well, actually, there's a number of ways now. The Dungeon of Dr. Dreck, well, first of all, it's on quite a few of the public access stations across the country. just have to check. Right. Uh, it streams live at uh, abmi8.org on, well, this is a daylight savings time or whatever you want to call it. Friday, Saturday, Sundays at 10 p.m. We're also on Erie House. Okay. That's on the internet. Uh, we're usually on there on Saturdays, I think. And I'm starting to show up on a relatively new Roku channel called Betamax TV. Are you on that channel? Okay. Yeah. Along with some other horror hosts. So I'm not the only one there. But Okay. This is the last cut in during Michael's conversation. Betamax TV is no more. They have shut down. I don't know all the details or the reasons why, but Betamax TV is no longer available on Roku. However, if you have a Roku and, and if you don't, I highly recommend that you do because there are so many amazing free channels out there. I have seen so much horror host programming on Roku. And, you know, I should probably sit down and make a list of all the horror host programs that I watch on Roku, all the different channels. There's so much out there. I love it. So, yeah, Roku, thumbs up. Back to Michael. Yeah, but Roku, man. If you don't have a Roku box, ladies and gentlemen, you need to get one. Yeah. It'll change your world. <laughs> <laughs> and give you more stuff to watch, which means you'll probably get less done around the house, but more stuff to watch. More stuff to watch, yeah. And I know it has absolutely nothing to do with anything that we've talked about here. But before we started recording, listeners, Michael told me that he had just won an award for his theatrical work as an actor. And I want to say congrats to that as well. Uh, you're, you're involved in the local drama community where you're at. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so congratulations. What was the name of the award again? Best Single Performance. Fantastic. I was playing Truman Capote. Well, congratulations on that, sir. And I'm just so glad there's monster kids out there doing good and doing work and making the stuff available, whether it's on stage, making movies, horror hosting, writing books. I hope you keep doing it for a long, long time. So do I. It reminds me of uh, Bela Lugosi and Evan Costello meets Frankenstein, where <laughs> he's saying to Luke Costello, you're enjoying life while it lasts. <laughs> There are a ton of different places to get your recommended daily dose of Dr. Dreck. You can check out his books on Amazon. You can find him on Facebook. He's got the TV show. He's doing a lot of things. And I'm glad that he took a little bit of time to appear on Monster Kid Radio to talk about these things. I plan on having him back on. I enjoy chatting with him so much. So, Michael, thank you for being part of the show. We'll have you back on again soon. TV, dependable natural color TV. In our home, there's color now. Wow! We own color TV. Wow! We'll see all the color shows now. In our test late last night, the percussive force of the bomb not only killed the volunteers at the facility, but the blast opened the wall to the institute and the checkerboard gas has been continuously spreading into our air. With no known way to dissipate the gas, everyone on Earth will become totally colorblind. 
a medical condition known as monochromia. People will want to see color. Uh, color TVs, they'll start manufacturing them again. Wallpaper, paint, clothing. And what do you intend to do next? I must have the cure for monochromia. It'll make me rich beyond description. You're already rich beyond description. I know, but I like to pretend like it's the first time. So the thief came back and only ended up stealing the same thing he'd already stolen before. What can you tell me about the murder of Professor Klein? I, I, I don't know nothing. My brother got all of my dad's inheritance. Now he's the owner of the Choke Corporation. Your brother is Robert Choke? The billionaire? Yeah, that rat bastard gives me a arms every month to do his odd jobs. That's all right, baby. You got me for free. Yeah. Yeah, you're my kind of doll. Yeah. Nuts. You'll suffer tortures like you've never known. The pit! <laughs> okay, Mr. Chase. Get up slowly. You're coming with us. No. No, I can't be taken now, not without being the only man to see. <laughs> Color! I've been standing there for centuries. <laughs> yes, I suppose it seemed why it's raining, but you're not wet. No, I'm not, am I? Uh, where are you coming from? I was watching a wonderfully terrifying double feature movie. I was a teenage Frankenstein in Blood of Dracula. Oh? Professor Frankenstein created a teenage monster to bring havoc and terror to all who meet him. But he left a few parts out, particularly in the poor lad's face. Uh, may we change and the subject? And the vampire in Blood of Dracula, quite unfriendly except when hungry, than any friend will do for a few ghastly moments. Please, I... Oh, here's where I must leave you. But there's nothing here but an old cemetery. Yes, I know. I want to meet some old friends here. After you see I was a teenage Frankenstein in Blood of Dracula, you might drop back here. We'll discuss the pictures to some length. <laughs> yes, yes, I'll do that! <laughs> How often has this happened to you? You're on your way home after a long day when suddenly tragedy strikes. No human mind could imagine the enormous destructive power of this maddened, killing thing. It's the kind of thing which can ruin your weekend. To prevent catastrophe, you need the Handbook for Surviving a Giant Monster Attack. This book features extensively researched methods to help you survive a giant monster event. You'll discover which vehicle you should use for making your escape, which method of counterattack is best for specific types of monsters. Hydrogen weapons, capable of wiping cities, countries off the face of the earth, are completely ineffective against this creature from the skies. And what common mistakes people make while fighting back. So pick up your copy of the Handbook for Surviving a Giant Monster Attack by Anthony Wendell today on Amazon. You can thank us by surviving. So this week, good friend of the show, Jeff Owens, posted on Downright Creepy an article that he called, Does Dr. Jekyll featurette leave no surprises 
for the mummy. Now, this is in regards to the latest featurette that Universal has released online. You can find it on YouTube and probably a few other places as well. It was released through Sci-Fi Wire. I'll make sure there's a link to Jeff's article in the show notes over at Downright Creepy. Anyway, to sum up, and I don't want to get too spoilery because I know this is a newer movie and you know I don't want to spoil too much. Although Universal does a pretty darn good job of doing it themselves. Now, in the video, you've got clips from the film. You get to see more with Russell Crowe's character. You get to hear from the director, Alex Kurtzman, the producer of the film, Sean Daniel, and the production designer, John Hutman. Now, here's the thing. I do think it probably gave out a lot more information than needed. However, this also clearly establishes how all these planned Universal movies are going to be linked, or at least could be linked. I suppose maybe it's premature to say that, yes, this is the way, but it seems like a pretty obvious story device that's been created and revealed in this featurette for us all to see how they're going to do it. And I'll admit, it's got me intrigued. But then I've always been a big fan of monster hunting groups or organizations existing in the real world, kind of working underground, whether whether it's a super secret black ops for your eyes only style government agency. And now I want to see James Bond finding monsters or <laughs> it's some other outside group apart from the government that's doing its own thing. That's either based within the country or worldwide. I'm a big fan of the original chill role-playing game, which introduced the concept of a group called save. And I can't remember what it stood for, but Stephen D. Sullivan probably could because he also worked on chill back in the day, but the chill role-playing game has characters that do those types of things, you know, investigating, monsters and horror and things like that. I've always enjoyed the investigator aspect of the Call of Cthulhu role-playing game. Yeah, I was a gamer. Big surprise. Anyway, I'm a big fan of of that, that investigation style of exploring horror and monsters. I like the idea that there is a group out there somewhere official or otherwise that knows how to defeat these things that does the research that has that information now sometimes having that in a movie it doesn't always work for example the fright night remake they had the one chris angel like character played by doctor who that and here's a spoiler warning kind of sort of knew what was going on and had vampire hunting type relics in his collection and that just seemed to not work for me. That just seemed kind of slapped on. Thoughts about that remake aside, I actually love the score quite a bit, but otherwise, eh, movie kind of left me cold. But okay, you know what? I'm going off track. Let's get back to the universal shared universe. I do agree with Jeff. I think it's probably given out way too much information. But on the other hand, this featurette really wasn't made for people like me or you or Jeff. Let's be honest. Universal is not trying to get the hardcore monster kids into the theater. I mean, we'll go, but they want the biggest possible audience. And for better or worse, that does kind of mean watering down the formula, doesn't it? Does the general public know what Dr. Jekyll is? Does Joe Everyman or Jolene Every Woman know the connection between Jekyll and Hyde? I, I don't know. How long has it been since we've had a Jekyll or Hyde thing on TV or a film? I, I don't know if we have had that. So, Maybe it's needed to try to make sure the Fast and the Furious crowd knows what's up? I don't know. Jeff's article is a good article. I don't want to give out everything that he said. However, I do agree with his very last sentence regarding what this Mummy movie will be comparing it to 
previous mummy films over the years. And yeah, I think you're probably right, man. Anyway, like I said, there will be a link in the show notes. And I'm real curious to hear what you guys and gals have to say about this. I'd love to get some feedback. And of course, we're going to talk about The Mummy on the show when it comes out. But I'd love to hear what you guys and gals think about it leading into it. And then maybe even after it's come out, which does happen next month. Out of the darkness of the ancient past, out of the dust of centuries and the inscrutable silence of the unknown come two new adventures in shock and suspense on one sensational motion picture program. The The Mummy. Mummy. Plus Curse of the Undead. Fear will freeze you when you face The The Mummy. Mummy. It tears steel bars like paper. It snaps men's spines like matchsticks. It walks through bullets like a ghost. Wakened from the darkest tomb of the pharaohs, it stalks the earth with strangely human desires. The Mummy. And on the same program, Curse of the Undead. The haunting story of a faceless fiend who drained the young and beautiful of life. Together on one program, Curse of the Undead, and in chilling technicolor, The Mummy. No. Horror. No. Horror. Stop it. Horror. <laughs> the ultimate in evil, the absolute in terror from the Shockmasters, together in the same double shock show, Frankenstein Created Woman and The Mummy Shroud in dripping, dripping color. So that brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. Big thanks to Michael Edgy for being part of the show. And even though he didn't know I was going to do this, big thanks to Jeff Owens for writing that article that I was able to make a little segment out of and, and talk about. And big thanks to you guys and gals for listening to the show and making Monster Kid Radio part of your aural diet or something. Anyway, monsterkidradio.net is where you're going to find everything you need to know about Monster Kid Radio between episodes. We've got our contact information there, and I really would like to hear what you guys and gals think about what's happening with The Mummy now. I mean, it is one thing to talk about it when it's so nebulous, and we know they're making the movie or they're talking about it, but there's been so much information coming out, official information coming out. Have your thoughts changed on the film? What do you think about it? Are you looking forward to it? Are you excited? I'd love to hear what you have to say about that or anything we talked about in this episode or anything we talked about in the previous 318. You can email me at monsterkidradio at gmail.com or you can leave me a voicemail at 503-479-5657. That's 503-479-5M. K-R. Again, this is all on our website. We also have links to every song that's appeared here on the show. And if you want to help out the show a little bit by being a patron, there's a link to our Patreon campaign where you can help support the show with a few bucks here and there. It pays for the hosting and helps to keep the light on here at the Monster Kid Radio Castle, Laboratory, Fortress, um, portion of my dining room that I've turned into my recording area. Well, whatever. It certainly helps out. So big thanks to everybody who's involved with that. You know, there is a link to Instagram here and I don't do a heck of a lot on Instagram. At least I haven't historically, but I am looking to potentially do more with it. So if you're on Instagram, well, just look up Monster Kid Radio. Next week on Monster Kid Radio. Well, you heard Michael mention him. I mentioned him a little bit. Stephen B. Sullivan. He's going to be back on the show. And you know what we're doing? We are finally, finally getting back to the Monster Rally Retro Awards. I've 
decided that this music is the official theme song of the Monster Rally Retro Awards or the rallies. I really dig it. It's from the band Hattori Hanzo Surf Experience. They're a surf band out of Palma de Miarco in Spain. The song is called Cachique Beach Party. And the reason I dig it is because when I first heard this song was playing it, my wife says, that sounds like a Japanese game show. And I said, okay, there we go. Game show, award show, rallies. That's how my brain works. Anyway, you can check them out at Hattori Hanzo Surf Experience.bandcamp.com. We've got a couple of shows coming up. Find them on Facebook to find out about that. I'll talk about them more next week. The Rally Awards. This is something that I wanted to make a real thing here on Monster Kid Radio. And I started it two years ago and took forever to announce the results. And once again, we're taking forever to announce the results for last year's. And there's a whole bunch of reasons for that, and we'll get into it. But the bottom line is, Steve and I are going to review who you chose as the Rally Award winners for the best in genre cinema in 1932, 42, and 52. And we're going to announce the ballot for 1933, 43, and 53. So for a good time, come back for Monster Kid Radio number 320. Between now and then, remember that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song Super Collider. That belongs to the band The Isotopes. It's from their album Play Surf Music. You can find them at rochesterisotopes.bandcamp.com. Or just go straight to their website, theisotopes.com. Check it out. Let them know that you heard about them here on Monster Kid Radio. I'll talk to you next week. Ciao.